Hello everybody and welcome into episode number 232 of the Bible 2021 podcast. We are reading 1 Corinthians chapter 15 today and our focus is on how the resurrection of Jesus is the central belief of Christianity. A Christianity without the resurrection is meaningless and powerless. Well, the next thing I'm supposed to say in my notes are how we're a daily 10-minute podcast where we dig into the Word of God one chapter at a time. But I got to tell you, I don't say that very much in the introduction these days because Honestly, we've sort of evolved into a 12 or 13 minute podcast. And oh my gosh, today is probably going to be longer than that, even because we're focused on the resurrection. And as you probably know, if you've heard the show before, that is my very favorite topic to talk about. So my plan is to have two short episodes following up on this one to sort of somehow, some way balance the show back around to that 10-minute goal. But honestly, I'll probably forget by tomorrow when I record the next two episodes. So I apologize in advance and just uh, hopefully you'll hear my passion for the resurrection because I really do think it is the single most important thing in Christianity, the most important doctrine, the very core of what we believe. I do want to point you out before we talk about that, uh, point you to our website, Bible2021.com. That's Bible2021.com. If you want to read the words from this podcast, we have a transcript of every episode there and a way to contact us and a way to subscribe to the podcast. Now, today's episode is not an attempt to prove the validity and historicity of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, since 2020, I have given many reasons for belief in the resurrection and even written a book on it. It's called Easter Fact or Fiction. You can find it on uh, our website on Bible 2021. Come to today's show notes or you can just go to Amazon and search for Easter fact or fiction. Uh, but today's episode is not about proving the resurrection so much as it's more about declaring how the resurrection of Jesus is the central, essential center of Christianity, the non-negotiable core and foundation of our faith. We're reading 1 Corinthians 15. I've always called it the resurrection chapter because it is 58 verses that are all pretty much focused on Jesus rising from the dead. It's far and away the most, uh, one of the single most important chapters in this, in the Bible. And in this chapter, Paul makes an audacious claim that absolutely guts and demolishes a certain kind of Christianity that you see more and more today over the past couple of decades. Verses 13 through 19 of 1 Corinthians 15 says, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Moreover, we're found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. Now, this is quite a claim by Paul. Boil it down and it says that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then Christianity is worthless and Christians are the most pitiful people in the entire world. And yet, there are millions of people out there right now who go to church, they label themselves as Christians, and... 
I guess they just do it because they only want to follow the moral teachings of Jesus and be a bit religious because there are millions of people that call themselves Christians that really do not believe Jesus is the Son of God. They do not believe him to be literally resurrected. And what Paul says in verse 19 must certainly apply to such a, quote, believer. They are to be pitied more than anyone. If Jesus isn't the Son of God, if Jesus did not die for our sins and defeat death, if Jesus does not provide eternal life for all who look to him in wholehearted faith, then why in the world would we follow him? Sure, his teachings are great, but if they are the mere teachings of a man, even a great man, surely we can find somebody better and more relevant 2,000 years after the fact, right? Hear what I'm saying. I'm not downplaying the teaching of Jesus. It's marvelous and all-surpassing. I'm simply saying that it's all vain and unimportant if he was not who he said he was, and if he didn't rise from the dead like his followers universally testified that he did. Dr. Adrian Warnock expounds on this thought, writing, Jesus predicted his resurrection repeatedly. Was he a liar, misleading his followers deliberately to think he was divine? Could he have been that evil? Could the man whose teaching has never been surpassed also be a con man on such a massive scale? How likely is it that instead he was a deluded fool who falsely believed death could not hold him? Jesus's credibility is destroyed if he did not rise from the dead. You cannot believe in him as a savior or a good teacher if he deceived us or was himself deceived so completely about something so fundamental. Either he rose from the dead and is therefore divine, or he did not, in which case he's no savior and certainly not God. God is immortal and is not rotting in a tomb somewhere in Judea. That's some pretty deep thoughts there from Dr. Warnock. Once again, There is no Christianity without the resurrection. Now, you might think that the early followers of Jesus being born in the first century were quite credulous and superstitious, basically open and vulnerable to believing anything. And yes, while it's true that the early Jews did have some sort of vague belief in the resurrection, it is also quite true that the Roman Empire, which was swept by a beyond viral belief in Jesus over the decades after his death, The Romans and other religions in the Eurasian area at the time did not believe in literal resurrection. They would have been adamantly opposed to such a claim. As eminent scholar Dr. N.T. Wright notes, he says Christianity was born into a world where its central claim was known to be false. Many believed that the dead were non-existent. Outside Judaism, nobody believed in resurrection. Think about that. Christianity was born into a world that utterly rejected the idea and notion of life after death, and yet it took deep root all across the known world at the time, spreading to every language, people, and culture with a message that the people were preconditioned not to believe, but to disbelieve. Now, if you're a skeptic who denies the resurrection of Jesus, you still have to account historically for the amazingly pervasive spread of that belief. If it was a false claim, then how did the falsehood deceive so many millions of people across thousands of cultures? Now, do keep in mind that nobody claims that Christianity spread in the first few centuries by power or military might or money or cunning or anything along those lines. Yes, 
The Catholic Church did show great signs of corruption in the Middle Ages, and the modern evangelical church, I'm ashamed to say, has shown great signs of corruption more recently, but such things were just really not seen on a large scale in the first three centuries of the spread of the belief in the resurrection of Jesus, and yet that belief spread like a wildfire in dry and dusty California. How? Because the people were so credulous? Because they were so dumb? No, they were not predisposed to believe in coming back from the dead. They were probably more biased against such a belief than the moderns are today. And yet you can historically and sociologically track the spread of Christianity spearheaded by the proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus as it traveled to every nook and cranny of the globe. Well, let's close with some thoughts from Dr. D.A. Carson on the centrality of the resurrection. He says, Nothing is more central to the Bible than Jesus' death and resurrection. The entire Bible pivots on one weekend in Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago. Attempts to make sense of the Bible that do not give prolonged thought to integrating the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus are doomed to failure. At best, exercises in irrelevance. Jesus' own followers did not expect him to be crucified, and they certainly did not expect him to rise again. Yet after these events, their thinking and attitudes were so transformed that they could see the sheer inevitability that Jesus would die on a cross and leave an empty tomb behind, and absolutely everything in their lives was changed. Well, let's go ahead and read our chapter. It's a little long, but boy, is it wonderful. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. 
For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterward at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death, for God has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything is put under him, it is obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. When everything is subject to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him so that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what will they do who are being baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, then why are people baptized for them? Why are we in danger every hour? I face death every day as surely as I may boast about you, brothers and sisters, in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus as a mere man, what good did that do to me? If the dead are not raised. Let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Come to your senses and stop sinning, for some people are ignorant about God, and I say this to your shame. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? You fool! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and as for what you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants, and to each of the seeds its own body. Not all flesh is the same flesh. There is one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly ones. There is a splendor of the sun, another of the moon, and another of the stars. In fact, one star differs from another star in splendor. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen. What a chapter. Gracious. Well, let's close with another amazing chapter, verses from 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 6, which are our Bible memory passage for the month of August. Love is patient. 
Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Hallelujah. He is risen. He is risen indeed.